0: I'm on a mission to introduce (laughs) black people, uh, people of color, women, diverse populations, period. The energy efficiency industry really needs to look like the country. The quiet pain that I have experienced personally as a woman navigating the business world in a black body, it has been debilitating, it has been traumatizing. And sometimes I sit in boardrooms and I used to say, if you all knew what it took me, you know, to be in this room sitting next to you, then you
1: wouldn't even look at me the same way. Welcome to Powering Up, our cross-generational, cross-cultural conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice. I'm Ann Doyle. I'm Dana Harvey, and it's my pleasure
2: to join you, Anne, as co-host for our courageous conversations with leaders who aren't afraid to stir up a little good trouble.
1: Yeah, well, our guest today is certainly that kind of leader. Uh, she is an engineer, a visionary, a very successful entrepreneur, and really a courageous voice for equality. Carla Walker Miller is the founder and CEO of Walker Miller Energy Services, which is a Detroit-based company that develops and implements energy efficiency solutions for both commercial and residential buildings. And she's had many, many honors, but uh, one specifically uh, that stands out to me is that in 2016, the, the National Women's Presidents Organization named her as one of the 50 fastest growing women-owned businesses in America.
2: And Carla is not only a very successful businesswoman, she also cares deeply about others, um, particularly at-risk populations. Um, from my first um, opportunity of meeting her and watching her her business grow since then. Uh, One of the great examples that I've been able to witness personally is how she has combined her energy expertise with social change, um, specifically for the nonprofit, hers, Water Access Volunteer Effort, which is WAVE, um, that she started. It actually provides water bill assistance to low-income Detroit citizens and has thus far distributed over $2 million to help 9,700 individuals. And as Carla puts it, she's committed to bringing underserved populations into the important energy dialogue. I love this about her. So welcome, Carla, to Powering Up. Thank you, I'm happy to be here.
1: You know, Carla, your website talks about your determination to change lives through energy, and uh, Dana gave us just one example of how you're doing that, but let's start with where did you get your passion for energy efficiency, and then how are you um, changing lives then through the company that you have founded and lead today?
0: Um, Interestingly enough, I actually landed in energy efficiency quite by accident, I had a ten-year-old business in energy, which is large power equipment, and I pivoted to energy efficiency purely because of uh, the recession. People were no longer buying large power equipment, and enabling legislation had been passed in energy efficiency in Michigan. So, starting in 2009, uh, energy efficiency became my core business. But you know, thank God. It, it's such a, an empowering story that something that was actually the end of my original business was the beginning of the business that I belong in. Um, energy efficiency, we changed lives by introducing people into an industry that has higher than the normal starting salaries. Uh, in um, We recently did an energy efficiency training program and the, the people that came off of that program started with an average salary of $18.81, which is a much higher salary than um, most people with a high school diploma could start in. And there is such um, a wide path for careers that people can enter into the energy efficiency industry. We we have people that started off with my company uh, with minimum wage, uh, six years ago, who are now making fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars, and the opportunity for growth because the energy efficiency industry is going to continue to grow as a clean energy element is uh, it's 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 just broad and deep, it's endless. So you know i'm I'm on a mission to introduce <laughs> black people, uh, people of color, women diverse populations, period. The energy efficiency industry really needs to look like the country.
2: Interestingly enough, I just um, made a note because that what you just mentioned is what I find so incredibly interesting about what you do. The intersection of not only who you are and who you serve, but also this industry that most people need to continually be educated on, um, energy efficiency. Um, what are the difficulties that you find introducing how important it is to the population that needs it most, where does your work kind of intersect in, in those, two, those two areas where I see there, there could be a lot of education that needs to happen just to get people to buy into the concept? Dana, it's so interesting because we're well-versed on the
0: things that burden communities, right? We know that car insurance is high. We know that life insurance, uh, um, health insurance is a burden, right? But if you look at what families pay every month, the cost of electricity, water, gas, and transportation fuels if you just add those numbers up in your head, you'll realize that the energy burden is a significant burden on even affluent families. But families who already have limited assets, the cost of energy for a lot of us, or a lot of them, because I am I am not going to even pretend that I am asset limited at this point. But the cost of energy, the energy burden, plays such an impact. And because we don't look at it holistically, we don't address it holistically. So if uh, there's so, the opportunities to address it is, a well-paying job in energy efficiency or the green economy, decreasing that oppressive burden in your home. If you could relieve you know, $100, $200, $300 a month of that bill that you send to your local utility every month, then that's significant. And then just the opportunity to participate in the incentives and the programs that are actually out here in the ecosystem through utilities, through the Public Service Commission, to address energy issues in every environment, whether it's your home, uh, your church, uh, your office building or whatever. If we really looked at these as as the problem that energy really is, and you mentioned education, that's huge. One of the things that uh, I've already started seeing the commercials that come out and say, winter's coming, make sure you replace your windows. We've been educated to believe that replacing windows is a large part of energy efficiency. Actually, it's insulation, air sealing, and replacing your old lighting are the three best returns on investment and least expensive. So for every little old lady saving money to replace her windows, if you could save a fraction of that for insulation, air sealing, and replacing your lighting, much of which, which if you look at the uh, ecosystem you can get for free if you are in a certain income bracket, it would make a much bigger impact on your home economy.
2: So as a Black woman who is bringing this business to, to let's say, the um, those who may not be aware that it is something that could be done, but also showcasing all types of STEM careers to youth in Detroit, I know you've been doing quite a bit Um, with youth and educating them. Why is that so important for you to do that?
0: You know, um, energy efficiency is something that you have to be invited into. When you look at the history of this country and you'll hear stories about the Irish policemen, right? And the white union participants, right? It's because their families, they know people who were in those industries. And there's so few black people in energy and especially renewable energy that it is unlikely that we're going to be invited in those industries naturally. So we have to have artificial ways uh, on ramps for people to come into the industry. And that's why I'm so passionate. Uh, One of the things that uh, I find is that when you say STEM, there are people who just automatically uh, just take two steps back because STEM now for many people means math. you know stem now means hard you know it's it doesn't just mean what it's supposed to mean and we still um we take ourselves out of the game naturally and when you look at something like an energy efficiency career energy is stem right those are stem so stem is not getting a master's and a doctorate in science necessarily stem is well-paying um starting jobs That don't require a four year college degree or an advanced degree. I just want to change the perception of what STEM is and how people to self identify with an interest in it, as opposed to just eliminating themselves from the conversation and as as black people our young people are eliminating themselves from the conversation. So we have to not just invite them in. We have to welcome and embrace and mentor
1: and support and hold their hands. It's also a really big issue for girls in particular oh, in this country. Absolutely. And um, and I more and more, I think there's a, a rising consciousness among women in particular about the fact that, um, You know, African-American girls not only have to deal with sexism that all women and girls face, but they have this double jeopardy from a very young age having to deal with racism and and being one of these really at-risk groups, which is why, uh, you know, I serve on the board of the Detroit Police Athletic League, and they have this Girls Changing the Game initiative, and I know that you are one of the founders of something uh, I've just read about called... Black Women Rising, which I believe is women leaders, African-American women leaders in Detroit. Um, What is that all about? And what what are your feelings around this really complex issue that I don't think has gotten the attention it needs? And you are so right. It is so complex. And it's,
0: it's not just complex, it's emotional, it's personal for every single one of us involved. Black Women Rising is just one organization that, um, I mean, it was formed to leverage collective power, our leadership to recognize and build potential uh, in every field, including politics. And I don't need to tell anyone how important our voices right now are in the political realm, the voices of of Black women. But it's uh, it's about leveraging, recognizing first, and then leveraging power. Everything you say about... um, about Black women, I came out of uh, college in the 80s. And when I tell you that STEM has made very little progress for Black women, for Black girls, if you look at where we were then and where we were now, the, the needle has only moved slightly. And inviting Black girls in, facilitating their success is so very important. But if we facilitate their entry into these fields, but we don't provide a a comfortable, culturally competent landing space for them. Once they get jobs, they are going to fall out of the system anyway. There are so many Black women who were in the ecosystem and who left because the ecosystem, the just the field was not it's welcoming, level, right? Welcoming, comfortable. Not not any, the field was crazy. If you mm. look at the 80s until now, it's much better now. But I, when I tell people that I remember going to informal, but true business meetings that I actually attended in strip clubs in the 80s, right? <laughs> what? Business what? Meetings sanctioned by a company. Oh
2: my God. So you
0: don't see anything that ridiculous now, but there are still... And especially in um, areas where there there is not a lot of diversity or cultural competency. When you look at engineering and STEM, you have women in power plants. You have women, uh, black women in very rural settings where uh, the bar is very low for what's acceptable even now. But until there is cultural competence across the board, until leaders really assert the cultures in their companies that that makes sense, you know, where all people can thrive. Black women are going to continue to fall out. And it is so important that all people, because diversity is a power. It is powerful for every single business. It informs competence. It informs excellence. It actually drives competitiveness. It drives success. And when people embrace that and really start to invite everyone to the table. That's when businesses change. That's when we have the leverage to really make a difference in every aspect of everyone's life. Well, one of the things that I'm really into right now, because there, you know, there are all these frontiers, right? Uh, of course, the black women—that's just my thing. Uh, asset limited families—that's my thing. But I'm in the process of learning about people living with disabilities now. Uh, the fact that people living with disabilities especially mental health disabilities the unemployment rate is up to 90 percent depending on what you're talking about right and that was a blind spot for me so i like to talk about talk to people about the fact that i got the black woman thing but we all have blind spots we all have to become more competent culturally. We all have to learn vocabularies of respect where we are not comfortable. That's where we are right now. When we talk about racial justice, we're talking about justice period,
1: justice
2: for everybody. And we all have a way to go. This is powerful. That's exactly why this conversation is so important because as Carla mentioned, although we started it in STEM and what the barriers are, it really does affect industries and people across the board. So, you know, voices like yours, Carla, when you are in places and spaces that most people cannot be. And I've heard you share this sentiment, you know, challenging others to really step up to the plate. I think that is is what's needed and it's hard work. Oh, it's such it's hard work. work. Oh my
0: God. And you know what, Dana, it's, real, it's really easier for me to challenge others because I'm always challenging myself. And I'm always, uh, I, I try to always mention that I'm a hypersensitive introvert. So I feel everything. So when the energy is wrong, I'm wrong. I mean, I cannot function when the energy is wrong. And that's really what drives me to speak out when other people don't. And, uh, and sometimes when I'm speaking out, I am absolutely fearful because I know that everyone who hears me is not going to agree, number one and then not accept the fact that I'm speaking out to make a positive difference, right? It depends on how what I say is being received and filtered. But uh, one of the experiences I've started sharing is that I I have a, a nephew that I adore now who was born a niece that I adored. And when I look at the path that I've had to come to to be a loving supportive auntie to my nephew, it was a painful painful lesson and part of the lesson is that my beautiful niece as i saw her at the time had to go through a process where adults should have been helping her and supporting her had to go through the process of becoming the man that he is alone to this day it still breaks my heart that he had to share it with us in bite-sized pieces so that we could accept who he really is. It's horrible, how horrible. The people who love him the most were not there to help him through because of our ignorance, really. Our sheer ignorance. And that journey was so painful. And it, it to be honest, it remains painful because I wasn't there for him. And People go through that every day around so many topics, having to tiptoe and navigate the truth so that other people will accept it. And I pray, I believe that we're going into a period where we can accept other people's truths and support their truths and honor their truths and help them because when we help a person, it really does help the ecosystem of transparency and openness and progress and just love and learning.
1: You know, I want to follow up on what you just said there. I mean, you said so many pieces, but that particular uh, comment you made that you, you pray that we're, we're at a, a moment perhaps, of an enlightenment, that we're perhaps on a verge of something. And uh, how do you feel we are? Because in the United States right now, I mean, we are in crisis. And I, uh, I have never seen our, our country at, at, uh, so divided and in such a dangerous place. Are you optimistic about um, this moment being as painful as it is? as as one that um, can get us uh, to the next place?
0: When I think of um, all of the, the hardest things that have happened in my life, I realize that there is no real growth without pain. And we are in a very, very painful period in this country. But guess what? We are talking. We are talking and we are sharing and we are crying. And you and I have had conversations that we would never have had Six or seven months ago, never in in my wildest dreams did I think that I could say the word racism in a boardroom and not have half the white men throw their heads back, right? One screaming I, from the room, absolutely, or not, or not telling me where the next meeting is. Yes,
2: absolutely. <laughs>
0: Troublemaker, good trouble. Absolutely, absolutely. So the fact that we are talking and the curtains have been open on something that is so very painful is, uh, it just bodes well for progress. The, uh, the quiet pain that I have experienced personally as a woman navigating the business world in a black body, it has been debilitating, it has been traumatizing. And sometimes I sit in boardrooms and I used to say, if you all knew what it took me, you know, to be in this room sitting next to you, then you wouldn't even look at me the same way. It took so much more and I'm, I'm generalizing, but it probably, I believe it took so much more for me to be sitting in the same seat you're sitting in. And it's been, it's been incredibly humbling and painful and demoralizing and but i'm here and we're here black women are here this country is here and we're having you know we keep calling them courageous conversations and the more courageous they are the more open and honest and vulnerable they are the better off we're all going to be for having them
2: yeah thinking about your personal courage and your personal experience and how that can um, positively, as difficult as it is, impact your professional courage, what other key forces or people have helped shape your leadership um, style or philosophy?
0: My parents have uh, shaped everything about me. I, um, I have a mother who had probably two years of college and a father with an eighth grade education. And uh, they are two of the smartest and the bravest and most determined people I know. And uh, going into the homes of affluent white families as my mother cleaned them when I was young and having a father that worked three jobs, who literally had a day job, a night job and a weekend job and watching them navigate life and providing a great life for 12 kids. And my Uh father denied declining all forms of government assistance
1: mm.
0: really is uh, is what shaped me. I saw that you can work hard and create a good life. Uh, Dana, interestingly enough, though, in in early in my career, that actually hurt me because I really started my career believing that hard work solved everything. If you worked hard enough, in, in my simple simple just got an engineering degree, getting ready to take off the world. If you work hard enough. You will be recognized you will get what you deserve and you will ascend in corporate america so i spent uh, way 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 too much of my career understanding the value of hard work but not understanding totally having no sense of the value of relationships and the difference between my first 10 years running a business my first 15 and my last five years is understanding the value of relationships. And that's why these conversations are so important. That's why IWF is so important. That's why Black Women Rising is so important. That's why service and relationships that you form in nonprofits and on boards is so important. And that's why showing up the same way, people knowing what to expect from you consistently is so important.
1: You know, I want to jump in and get one more thought from you before we lose you, and then Dana may have a last question, but talking about relationships, I see that you are a member of Alpha Kappa Alpha, and I keep reading about this sorority, and I know that Kamala Harris is part of it. I'm starting to go, okay, all the women leaders I know who happen to be African-American, they're all in that power group. Tell us just a little bit about that you got into the right sorority that was for sure she oh did God, i man, can to figure that one out
2: <laughs> i
0: should pay you for that one um so alpha kappa alpha was the first african-american female sorority uh, on, on a college campus and of course we our largest our sister sorority and i'm going to shout out delta sigma theta because they are Um, An incredible sorority, and they have an incredible number of female leaders. I might go to heaven for plugging them right now.
1: uh, (laughs) You'll be sure to send this episode to them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. But yeah, I am a proud member of Alpha Alpha Kappa Alpha, and we are um, first in sisterhood, and we are supreme in service to all mankind. Service is what we are all about. So we are so proud to see soror. Uh, Harris, uh, vice president nominee, and hopefully the first black female vice president. Uh, what a blessing. What a blessing that And maybe president someday. Oh, My very God.
2: exciting. Would not that be exciting?
0: That that's amazing.
2: Well, I think just to, to sum it up, you know, understanding that, you know, this conversation is about, you know, women and leadership and how we also are inspiring the next generation You know, Carla, based on your experiences and how you get to the room and how you get to um, a seat at the table, you know, what would you say to that next generation or the next few generations um, that are figuring their way out and up?
0: So have allies, have a tribe. One of the things, and Dana, you and I have had this conversation about um, the need for there to be more intergenerational conversations among Black women. Yes. Because there are, you know, we have a lot of overlapping um, interests. We absolutely have overlapping interests, but we have generational views that don't always serve us well. And I feel like we should be um, making the biggest impact where we agree. Those things that we agree, we should be working to push forward. One of my missions is there is not a sister, a young sister on this planet who should have to go through what I went through. Dana, there's not a sister younger than you who should be going through the same mess that you've been through as part of your career. If there's anything we can do to facilitate their success by being open, by being welcoming, by saying you got this, right? By giving them real tools, then we we need to be building the next generation. Of sisters we need to be paving that path and inviting them i keep using the word invitation because ecosystems the best ecosystems you don't fall into you literally do have to be invited into and if you're like me as i said a natural introvert you don't boldly walk into every opportunity that's there so you know my instruction is to mm-hmm. operate if you are a sensitive introvert like me, shake it off and walk into every opportunity that is presented to you. And if you are a person with resources, younger or older, invite others, invite diversity, invite people who can benefit from the bruises and the scars you might have.
2: We need to just take care of each other. You know, what's next? What are you up to? You know, what or how can people learn what you have coming up just so that we can make make sure that everybody knows where to find you um, and what to look for?
0: Well, we're pretty active on social media. I have a great social media team and uh, we always have initiatives uh, going on and we are always recruiting. I recruit heavily in Detroit. We pay a $15 an hour minimum wage Mm -hmm. and we are trying to create an ecosystem of diverse energy efficiency practitioners. So um, there's so many ways to find out about us. And more importantly, to find out about energy efficiency and the clean energy industry, because that industry, the growth is going to be unprecedented for all of the reasons we know, including the fact that we are experiencing the realism, the harmful effects of climate change all over the country, but even right here in Detroit. So. Um, Thank you for the opportunity. Thank you, Ann. Thank you, Dana. I uh, thank you to Motor City Woman and everyone that facilitated this prog- uh, podcast. I really appreciate you
1: guys. Keep leading. And uh, so thank you. Uh, you're a leader. You're an engineer, a businesswoman, and a courageous change agent. Carla Walker Miller, founder of Walker Miller Energy Services. I'm Ann Doyle.
2: And I'm Dana Harvey. And again, our thanks to Robin Kenny and her Motor City Woman Studio here in Detroit for producing Powering Up. Let's all go. Let's all go Powering Power Up. Power Up. Thanks for joining us at Powering Up. We hope you'll subscribe and share with your network. Ann and I would love to hear from you through LinkedIn and our Twitter handles. I'm at, at Dana Harve on Twitter.
1: And I'm at AndOilLDR. And remember, power is the currency for getting things done. Claim yours and put it to work.